Lord, we just thank for this opportunity to come together to, to look at your word and to worship you. We just thank you for how much you love us and care for us. And, and as we look at this word, we ask your spirit to lead and guide. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray you, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to stop there and just uh, we're going to examine what's called commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And as I said last week, I don't really consider this the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really in John 17 where he prays for all the people that he's leaving behind and, and for us in this future generation. But this is really the pattern for how to pray. So this is where we want to look at and he says, after this manner, therefore, pray you, our Father, which right there is a very different aspect. Now, we have no understanding of how different this was to pray than our Father. The Jews did not look at God really as a Father. They looked at him as a supreme being. He really wasn't a Father. Most of them did not understand his care for them, even though the, his care was shown all through the Old Testament. He was almost the being to be feared more than to be looked at as a father. So this was a very different way that Jesus is telling them to pray. as a very personal family relationship is what he's looking at teaching them. And we, in our day, have the opposite problem when we pray. We look at him, father, friend, big brother. <laughs> Yeah, Abba, you know, Daddy, we don't have, oftentimes we forget the reverence and the holiness of God when we pray. So we've kind of swung the pendulum way the other direction from where the Jews, Jews were. The Jews had this idea of a, you know, powerful being, protector and all of that, but not really a close relationship. And we have the opposite problem where we think of the, in general, the relationship and forget that he is all-powerful. And Jesus is saying, you think of him as Abba, the, the, the Father. And again, but we need to always remember, he is much more than just a friend. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody you know, talk about God as if he's their best buddy. And that's getting a little too familiar, I think, with the God of the universe. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he cares for us. Yes, he is our Father. But I've heard prayers sometimes, and I'm wondering, I don't know who this person's praying to. It doesn't seem to be God, because they talk about him you know, in this way, very familiar way that's a little, you know, and to my liking, maybe too far the other direction. But this is what he's saying. God is changing the, Jesus is saying, I want you to think of him more as the Father. Now, again, for us, Father means something different than it did them. The Father was the patriarch of the family. He had respect. He had honor. He was the one that provided for you when you didn't have, when you had ran into trouble. And in our day, again, we've got fathers who are more, you know, it's kind of interesting as we look at families, the mothers and fathers out there trying to be their, the friend of their kids rather than the mother or father. Uh, well, I can't hurt their feelings. Well, why not? You're the parent trying to teach them how to, how to get along in this, in this world. Now, as they get older and get to be an adult, and hopefully that 
relationship transitions a little bit and you become more, you know, friend with them. Happened in my case with my dad when I was growing up. He was he was dad. <laughs> you know, he was the one that told me what to do, what not to do, when to do it, how to do it. But as we got older, there was a friendship that developed. Not that I ever wanted to disrespect him or not honor him. But we see right from the very first word, he's changing the relationship to one of a relationship, not just a looking at. And this is what changes Christianity, is what makes Christianity different from every religion out in the world. Every religion in the world is all about doing, doing something, whatever it might be. And ours is a relationship where God says, you can't do anything to earn anything from me. It has to be through Jesus Christ. So he's saying the very first thing is our Father. And then in the second sentence, which, which is in heaven. Okay, God is in heaven. And he's, he's identifying the place that God is. And then the next statement, hallowed be your name or holy be pure. Do we really think about God when we pray that way? Are we really looking to pray to God and, and encouraging the holiness of his name? He tells us one of the commandments is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Most people read that verse as using his name as a curse word, but that's really not what that verse says. Using his word in a vain or empty way. Our teens do this all the time anymore. Their statement of OMG or oh my God, and they're not calling on God at all when they're using his name that way. It's very empty and it is using his name in vain. Oftentimes, I've heard people, you know, just use it, call out God, you know, and it's like, well, are you really wanting him to come and be involved in what you're talking about? Well, no, I'm just saying his word. I'm just saying his name. It's kind of an amazing thing, and it's always Christianity that has this use of people, you know, rejecting Christ and, and using it. You never hear anybody say, oh, Buddha, or oh, Allah. It just doesn't happen. It's always, oh, God. It is where it shows what is in our heart is how we react in those situations. When somebody does something that you don't, that hurts you or you don't like, how do you react? Are you having a world's reaction where you get angry with them and, and want re revenge or do you end up forgiving them? And forgiveness, we're gonna get into forgiveness, but forgiveness is not an easy thing to do for us as humans because it's not in our nature. The more we follow God, the more we become like him, the more forgiveness will be part of our nature. But he says we're to hallow his name, to lift his name up, lift it up pure and holy. In our prayer guide, we have the word ACTS, which is a very old acronym. It's, it means uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And I've always really thought that it probably should be cats. The C should be first. Confession should be first before we even adore him. But it works. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, when we pray... Are we spending time giving God adoration? Do we praise him? Do we, look in, do we thank him for who he is? Do we confess our sins before we go into supplication? Many people go straight into supplication and forget all the rest. Most people, most people forget the first, first parts of it, which is why they put it in the acronym first. And if you read any book on prayer, you're going to see the, the, the acronym acts in there. Adore God, confess your sins, and give him thanks. And because it is unnatural for us to do that. But God, and this is why God, Jesus gives us this prayer. And this prayer follows pretty much that, that acronym. 
hallowed be your name. God, I'm going to adore you. You are wonderful. You are great. You are, thank, you know, you are wonderful. All of the different psalms have that same mentality. You know, when they're Thanksgiving songs, they praise God and honor him and, and build him up. So we need to get into this position as we look at this prayer. We start with adoring God. God, you are wonderful. You are precious. You are, and then we get to confession. God, I, I don't even deserve to be here. And we really have to get to that point where we understand in our flesh, we don't deserve to be there. But because we have Jesus Christ in our heart if, as Christians, we have the right to be there. But he asks us to confess. And then we show thankfulness. This is the one place that's really, many people will adore God and even confess their sins, but thankfulness is something that gets forgotten so often. And this is what this prayer is going to cover, the thankfulness areas. He goes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom. It's the recognizing, this is part of his adoration verses, his kingdom. God has a kingdom in heaven now. He has purchased this world as his kingdom through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and will take possession of the kingdom during the millennial, millennial reign of Christ and then will wipe it all out and start all over with a world that is perfect. The world was his when he created it. He gave it to man. Man gave it to Satan. Jesus took it from Satan at the cross and will take possession of it in the millennial kingdom. So we have this process, a long process, a long process that's going on to in this world of possession of this world. And he says, your kingdom come on earth. Now we as Christians are called ambassadors in, in, in Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know if that means so much to you, but if you think about what is an ambassador, uh, Obama just cast out the Russian Russian uh, ambassador in the country today. What does that mean? It means that he severed relationships. But when you enter into an embassy, whether it's in America or overseas, you are entering into a different country. As soon as you cross into the embassy, you are on foreign soil for, for all legal and practical purposes. It would be closed now. Yeah, well, you'd take a couple of days to get out. But, but what ends up happening is if you're an ambassador, you represent your country in another country, and your embassy is basically, if you go to Embassy Row in San Francisco or, or D.C. or anywhere else that there's an Embassy Row, if you enter into the law, you know, you pass through the gates of that embassy, you have stepped out of the United States and into a foreign country. And the same thing if you're overseas and you enter into the U.S. Embassy, you have entered into United States territory for however many square feet that is. We as Christians represent God where we're at. Our life needs to bring him forward as ambassadors. We, we bring his kingdom into a re reality. And I was listening to the radio show the other day, and they were talking about, is your home really an embassy for God? Are you, when you're in your home, are you representing God's kingdom in your home? It's kind of an interesting thought that we live there as ambassadors. Therefore, our homes are, amb are embassies for God. 
His kingdom is on earth in a very small place if we're doing our job correctly. And people should look at us and see, is this person a representation of God's kingdom? Are we a representation of God's kingdom? Where, where we go, where we act, how we act, how we respond to people. Now, for most of us, we're not very good ambassadors at times. And in reality, there are ambassadors that are very bad ambassadors for their country. They usually get recalled quickly, but they show different aspects of their country. And they get honor because they represent their country as well. And we are God's ambassadors. We are on earth bringing his kingdom on earth, trying to show forth how God deals with people. The loving kindness that we show people, the mercy we show people, the grace, the forgiveness. We are showing God's attributes to people when we live according to him. Now, unfortunately, we are human and we don't do a very good job of it sometimes. But that's when forgiveness comes and is very important. Go out and we're to show God is a good father, a good king, a good... But that's what our job is. We go out and we witness. We share the gospel. We, share, you know, we show people uh, what it's supposed to be like to be following God. Unfortunately, some, many Christians will get very judgmental. Well, you're, not, you're a sinner. You don't, you know, I don't want to know you. And as I've said before, our best friend should not necessarily be an unsaved person, but we need to have friends. We need to have people that we know that are sinners. Verse 12, excuse me, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And literally in the, in the Greek, this says, give us uh, this very day our daily bread. How many of us spend a lot of time worrying about where we're going to get our food, how, how are we going to make our bills get paid, and all these different things? One of the things I heard somebody speak this morning when I was going to work, and I, I don't remember which, which person I was listening to, he was commenting about how we spend time worrying about anything that we haven't given to God. He gave many examples, and one of them really hit me between the eyes because he was going, you know, do you, do you worry about your finances? Do you worry about, uh, you know, this, that, or the other thing? But he got to one that really kind of made me wonder, and he goes, your health. Have you given God your health? And for me, that was one that I was thinking about. I don't know that I've trust, entrusted my health completely to God because I think about my health quite often. Finances, I don't worry about finances. Uh, God gave me great lessons over the last few years of him paying off my finances and make, meeting my bills. So I don't, I, I've handed those over to him and it's like, okay, God, this is yours. <laughs> and when I was making no money, I would, I would pay the bills I could pay, pay and I'd, give, I'd, hold, I'd go to the rest. And I'm going, okay, God, here's, here's the ones you have to pay. I don't know where the money's coming from. And I would just wait and sure enough, God would give me some extra job or a computer job or a gift or whatever and, and those bills would get paid. I did what I could and left the rest to God. Now I live on a, I, I believe me, I live on a budget and it's tight and all of these, but I, I don't worry about those. But God is saying, give, Jesus is saying, God, give us our daily bread. How much time do we worry about anything? And God says to cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And, and his burden is light. Bread literally in the Greek means, uh, food meant to, meant to satisfy, and that's what bread is. It, it satisfies our needs. Now, does that mean we're going to have a luxurious feast every time we turn around? Bread is a, actually, it's interesting that bread is common in every country, not necessarily the, the bread we have, but some form of bread 
is common in every country, whether it's pita or, or a cracker or the white bread or matzah, whatever it might be. It's interesting, and God is saying, your daily substance. Now, we in America think we need more food than most of the world does. Most of the world eats maybe two meals, and it's very different meals than what we eat. If we haven't had our three, three meals a day that are, that are overly full, then we feel like we're starving. I, I'm cognizant of this when I, if I ever say that I'm starving. I don't usually say that anymore. I, I, the most I've ever said nowadays is I'm hungry <laughs> because I'm cognizant of the fact that in America there are very few people who are starving. Contrary to all the ads on the news and everything, there are people that are hungry, there are people that are going to starve, that are, that, are, that, are, that are probably even starving, even in America, but it's a small percentage in America compared to most of the, country, most of the world. And if you go to other countries, you can see people who are literally starving. And they're trying to get one meal a day. You know, there are places where they eat a cup of rice in the morning and then whatever, usually a cup of rice in the afternoon and whatever they might be able to add to that. And we see this over and over. But America has this crazy impression on what poor is. You know, we look at what America says is poverty and it's kind of amazing. And you go someplace, even, I lived in Guam. There's a lot of poverty in that, on that island, and they're U.S. citizens, and there's many people that live in nothing. And you see, you see real poverty, poverty. People who've gone into Mexico further than just the border <laughs> see poverty. This is something that we need to be able to understand, that we need to be careful of what we define. God says he's going to meet our needs. And our needs are not necessarily all the needs that we think we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Are we trusting God in all of our needs? And it is so easy to not trust him because our nature just says, I've got to do this. God, I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to make this happen. I spent years doing that. One of the lessons that God had to teach me was to, to rely on him more. Being a planner and an administrator and an organizer, I spent about six years trying to make plans to, to get out of debt, to have everything work out right. And God kept saying, no, you're not going to be the one that does this. I mean, and everything would go wrong with my plan. Very frustrating when you know that you're good at making plans and you've been successful in businesses and, and you know that things are working and, you, and God go, opposes them. So I'd make another plan. I'd go, okay, that one didn't work. I'll make another one. And God would oppose that plan. I got to the place where I finally just said, okay, God, I give up. I really feel like I heard an audible voice saying, well, it's about time. And from that point on, things, things turned around. But God is saying we need to depend on him. And depending on him is hard. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. Okay. He says, give us this day our daily bread. That does not mean that I don't go out and spend some of my money on bread. I don't, but I don't worry about it. Another place where Jesus said, you know, look at the flowers of the field, how they're arrayed. They're, they're, they're clothed better than Solomon. Look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about where they're going to get their food. They don't, they don't have great big warehouses in the middle of their nest. They all, their nest filled with all the, the grain. They get their grain every day. They get their feeding every day. The children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, got fed every day with the manna, as long as they got up before the sun, before the sun waxed hot that they had to get up and they had to do something. God's plan for the poor was that they would be able to, to glean the fields. 
And it says God was not one to say just give them all this money. He goes, they have to go out and do something. And this is the problem that we have is in our in our day where we just hand the hand money to the poor without any work whatsoever. God's plan was they had to get up, they had to go do some work. Now it wasn't near the same as everybody else. You didn't have to plant your field, harvest your, you know, all of that stuff and water and, and you know. But he says when it's time to reap, they were to go out. They were not. If things fell, they were to be left for the poor. They didn't. And it says leave the corners. Leave the corners for them to be able to really get a good harvest. The story of Ruth as she meets Boaz was all about that, how she, was, you know, she and Naomi were poor and she went out to glean the fields and was able to get more because Boaz said, make sure you drop some for her uh, because he fell in love with her at first sight and doing things to help her. But God says, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me the provisions. Give me the ability. And like I said, sometimes that means he's going to give us a job to do. Many times I had extra jobs to do. Being a computer program and computer person, they would, I'd get people to call me and say, I need this fixed, or can you do this, or can you help me with this? And then they would usually pay me more than I thought it was worth because they didn't feel like I did that much. But then I looked at how much they would be charged if somebody came to their house, which is what I did. You know, 60 to to $100 an hour just to have somebody come out to your house to work on your computer. And I wasn't going to charge anywhere near that kind of money to people because it's just something I know how to do. But usually they would give me more than I thought, thought because they knew what it would cost otherwise. But God would arrange for these little jobs to come, come up. He's saying, give us this day. Then in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is kind of an interesting thing because sometimes when people read this, they go, well, does God not forgive me of my sins if I don't don't forgive others and their aspect of this is that he doesn't bring us back into fellowship unless we forget forgive and we think about this do we forgive people and how do we forgive people and on the powerpoint at the beginning of the service and i passed this out i had that little flyer that i've got a copy here because i wanted to go over it when we when we looked at this forgiveness is a choice and this is what it says. And we know that forgiveness is a choice because many people don't forgive. And they choose not to forgive or they choose to forgive. And what does this mean if I forgive somebody? Okay, we first off know if we don't forgive somebody, do you feel comfortable around somebody that you have not forgiven? No, you don't want to be around that person because all you're doing is thinking about how angry you are at them and how, how they've hurt you or whatever it is they've done. Because forgiveness brings back fellowship. Without, with a lack of forgiveness, there's no fellowship. And forgiveness really comes in, I will not think about what they've done. Okay? If I stop thinking about what they have done, in, in practice, I have forgotten it. And given enough time, I will have forgotten what they have done. If you keep remembering what somebody has done, every time you see them, you think about what they have done, you're, you're re- refreshing it, re resetting it. And it says, the next part, if you stop thinking about it, you're going to stop talking to others about it. And this is something people go, you know, well, I, I, I met so-and-so. Well, you know what so-and-so did to me. <laughs> you know, and you're always talking about it. You're always bringing it back up. You're always, you have this list of things that are wrong with people. And I've seen people have long lists. 
They're, they're mad at everybody. They haven't forgiven anybody in their lifetime, and they've got this long list of people that are forgetting that they're not forgiving. And when you, the problem with that is when you, when you see that person and you've got this list of all their problems, you're not going to fellowship with them. You're not even going to really want to be anywhere near them. And then the next part of forgiveness is that we don't let it embitter us against them. Okay? I'm not going to let them make me upset. I'm not going to get bitter about it. I don't know how many of you have been around. I've talked to so many people and I've seen people that have gone out and then they finally have tried to forgive somebody, they come to find that the other person didn't even know they were mad at them. <laughs> now, well, I thought, you, I thought it was interesting you never talked to me, but I didn't realize that you were mad at me. This is something, unforgiveness hurts us more than it hurts the other person, usually. I have the bitter feelings, I have the angry feelings, I'm the one that's bent out of shape, and more often than not, they don't even know what they've done or th or that they have done anything unless you're really you know unless you're really after them and you're always attacking them but oftentimes they don't even know it's you that you're the one that's suffering and the lack of fellowship and the bitterness and the anger that you feel because you're the one that has all the emotions and he says forgive what their debts forgive their debts and a debt is literally it's just and legal okay we have the right to be angry maybe with somebody for what they've done. But God's saying, release it, forgive them. And one of the very important things for us, many people will go, well, I'll forgive them if they ask. I am so glad that God didn't take that attitude with us. Because I don't think I would have asked him if he didn't, didn't make the provision before it even started. He forgave us through the act of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. I have grown up with a learning forgiveness and I forgive people pretty quickly in my lifetime used to bother my wife when we first got married because I she goes well they've done that before and I would go they have I, because I had literally forgotten because I wasn't holding grudges against people if you if I'm have a, if I have a problem forgiving somebody it's because they've done something so often so many times that it's like okay I'm having trouble with this person in general but I like to forgive people and not have to deal with anything about them because it's easier that way. God is my defense. I don't need to sit there and be angry with somebody. God will, God will defend. God will protect. And when we forgive people, we just drop all of it. We forget what they've done. I don't dwell upon what they do. If you want to be miserable and, and hard, you know, have a hard time with people, keep thinking about what they've done and be mad at them. That's not following forgiveness. God says that if we don't forgive, he's not going to bring us back into fellowship. And this is something that's important. This isn't a, this idea of not forgiving our, our debtors you know, and everything that he's going to get into is not because he says we're going to go to hell because we don't forgive somebody. But we're going to have a break in our fellowship with God. And this is something that we have to be careful of. We don't want that break with God by having hard hearts and bitter hearts. He will keep that temptation out of us and it is again he says forgive our debtors because forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and debt is a legal obligation this is something he's saying they you have the right maybe to be mad at them you have the right to to be upset with them and he says release it 
And it's very important for us to do that. God is more than able to make up anything that we lost because of that. He's more than able to fix a reputation destroyed by somebody else. And it's amazing that if we let God be our defender, he takes care of all of those things. And I have seen this over and over. If we let God defend us, he does a much better job. I know he does a much better job than I do. If I try to defend myself, I just make a big mess out of everything and make other people mad at me and, and I get madder at them. So it's, I have found it much easier just to let God defend. I have watched God defend pe other Christians in my lifetime. I know that it works. So it's easy for me just to say, I'm not going to worry about it. I've had people, well, you know what so-and-so is saying about it? No, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying, and I don't care, so don't tell me. Huh? There are examples in the Bible. Oh, lots of examples. David would not raise his hand against Saul, which is a great example of, of letting God be his defense. Now, he ran from Saul everywhere he went, but David was a general and a, and a soldier. He could have defeated Saul at any moment and taken the kingdom. And remember, Samuel had already anointed him as king, and he goes, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. He was going to wait till God took Saul out of the picture. But there's, and there's others. Miriam, Miriam came and, 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 and Aaron came and attacked the leadership of Moses. And what happened? Miriam got leprosy for a period. And then Moses prayed for her and she was healed. But there's many, many examples. So when people come against leadership and the leaders just turn to God, God protects and, and delivers. So we see this over and over. So our job is to, and, and Psalms is full of it. We're going through Psalms and it's all about God being his, our shelter, our protector, our, our, our fortress, our strong tower, our, our buckler, our shield. You know, we keep going over and over in this that God's saying, just hide. Cast all your cares upon him. He cares. I mean, and he'll fix the, he'll, he'll work out the problems. He'll work them out. He'll fix them. He'll, he'll d discipline somebody. And I've shared with many of you, I know this man that when I was, well, probably now 25 years ago, the guy kept attacking the pastor, and the pastor was a good pastor, and I don't know what his problem was with the pastor. So the deacon, the head deacon and I went to him and said, you know, you've got to stop talking so wickedly against the pastor that God does not allow this. And he did not, and he ended up getting divorced. Two of his children died, and he got, and he got cancer and eventually died. I am very sure that his, all of that was because he attacked one of God's leaders and the leader did not respond to him. And I've seen this over and over in lifetime where people have a lot of, they go, they attack leaders and God brings judgment. Now, if we want to try to defend ourselves, God will say, okay, fine, you defend yourself and, you know, and I will just step back. He's more than willing to let us if we don't want him to do it. And the thing that has scared me is how hard God's discipline can be sometimes. And, and leadership is something he's very strong on uh, because he has positions, and which is one of the reasons why I'm, I try to be very careful what I say about our leaders, even though in America we have this attitude that we can say whatever we want against our leaders. And I'll, have there been leaders that I have not liked? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely there's been leaders that I don't like. But one thing that God convicted me of many years ago on a particular president that I didn't like, he goes, he asked me if I was praying for the man, and I'm going, no. Then he goes, shut your mouth. Uh, if we're not willing to pray for our leaders, 
we have really no reason to be able to come against them. And people, well, they're bad. Well, think about when Paul and these guys were writing about honor your leaders. Pray for your government. They were talking about Nero. Nero was killing as many Christians as he could possibly get hold of. And they're saying, honor the government and pray for your leaders. All right? We have not had to die for, you know, we have not had a president in our country making us die for our beliefs yet. <laughs> but we need to be praying. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to honor our leaders and give them respect. Because one thing, whether, whether we like them or not, God put them in place. We get the leaders that we deserve and God puts them in place. None of our votes in this country have ever surprised God on who our leaders are. So we want to be very much looking at praying for them. And I'm not going to say we're going to like every leader. There's been many presidents in my lifetime that I haven't had any liking for, but need to pray for them. Need to pray for our country. Whether they're taking us down the wrong path or the right path, we pray. Because we, especially in our country, we get, to, we get the leaders we vote for. And if we're not voting for righteous, honest men, we get what we deserve for, for our vote. Which is why the church has to get out and vote for righteous, honest <laughs> individuals, or at least, the, at least the most righteous, honest individual available. And I, and I understand what it means to vote for somebody just because he's the, the lesser of two evils. <laughs> or three evils, whatever the case might be. And it's, it's a tough decision. But we need to pray about who we vote for. We need to pray for who is in office, which is why in the bottom of our little prayer guide, we have the leaders, leaders in offices that say, we need to pray for these people. Because they can get a issue on the table and vote the right way, not understanding why they're doing it, just because of God's influence. But we need to be praying for that. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is a kind of an interesting statement. One of the, one of the commentators said, uh, do not, uh, he interprets it as saying, do not allow us to be led into temptation against something other than God. Because God puts us into trials all the time. He tries our faith. He puts us into interesting places to say, are we going to depend on God? And this is something that's very hard to do at times. You know, we are to turn our life over to him and say, God, I am going to watch where you're leading. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, as David said it. God brings us through the shadow and the evils and says, here, are you willing to trust me? And we've talked about this. How many times have you heard something, you've read something in the Bible, you've been taught something, you're learning something, and immediately it gets tested to see, do you believe it? And this is something I've shared. If you've been studying the Bible and you're learning about love, and God's trying to teach you about love, expect to find somebody that's hard to love come into your life. If you're learning about Patience, he's going to give you somebody that's got some, somebody or something that's going to try your patience. If you're learning about giving grace and forgiveness, he's going to put you in a situation where you have to give grace and forgiveness. Many times we fail those tests. And the interesting thing about God, it's not like the public school system where if you fail the test, you move on anyway. 
God will keep giving you the test until you pass it. I had my test that one time for six years. <laughs> and God kept giving me the same test over and over again. And there were other tests during that period of time. But the big test was, are you finally going to give me reign of your life? How many times do we go through these tests? And God teaches us something and we go through a test. And we go through another area and he gives us a test. And he wants us to learn to rely on him. God, I want to, I, you asked me to forgive. Expect something to have to forgive. Now, God, you've asked me to love people. You're going to find people that are hard to love. God, I want you to make me thankful. He's going to give you places where it's hard to be thankful. If you decide you're going to start giving, you, you haven't been tithing, you want to give tithe, it's going to, things are going to happen to make the tithe hard to do. If you've increased your tithe, <laughs> and, and God's going to say, okay, you've, you've agreed to increase your tithe, you know, to, to include some amount of offering, things will get tight and say, are you going to still trust me? God will always test us. Wherever we're at, he's going to test us. He's going to say, are you going to forgive? For some parents, sometimes it might be their children doing something that's very hard to forgive. And you look at your child and say, well, how can I forgive? And God's saying, forgive. Be, be like him. Can you imagine how hard it is for God to forgive if, he, if it wasn't in his character? We are his enemies. Literally enemies of God in a way we act. Even as Christians, we act in a way that makes us enemies. And yet he's saying, I love you enough. I paid the price. Just, I'm going to forgive. And then he gives us grace. <coughs> but he says, deliver us from evil. When we walk in these hard places, God is the escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation overtaken us, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. Uh, to escape is by turning to him. The, the trial is going to be such as to break us if we don't turn to him. And that's our answer is to turn to him. And that's how we get delivered. Then it says, for, for, your, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He ends with this praise. For God is your kingdom. The word here is basilica and it literally means the seat of power in, in, in the government. And if you know anything about that day, they would, every place would have their basilica where the, where the judgments would be given. The bima, the bima at that time, they stood before the judge and decisions were made. And that is where God rules. And he says, your kingdom, your kingdom. We got to keep in mind that God is ruler and king. And we want to keep this mindset because of the power that he has. It is the right of rule that he has, that he is in charge. And that goes against everything in our flesh. Our flesh likes to be in charge. <laughs> that was the original sin that was presented to Adam and Eve. God knows that the day you eat of that fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're, you're, you're going to be the ones that are making decisions. They were in charge, yes. But they, 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 he, he convicted, Satan convinced Eve that she was being deprived of something. And how often do we think somehow that God is depriving us when we really think about it? 
If we didn't think that he was depriving us, we wouldn't act the way that we act. We wouldn't fall into the sins. And we talked about that just the other day. How many of us have this attitude of the teenager? You just, you know, you know you're, my parents just don't want me to have fun. You know, we're trying to protect our kids, and yet the, the attitude of the teenager is you don't want me to have fun. I don't think we actually say it, but I think we just... We do it. It's our menti- men, men, mindset. Just out of, just out of yeah. God, I, I don't think you're right about not doing this sin. If I, I think I'm going to have more fun by doing this sin, and you're just trying to keep me from having, having my fun. And then we get into it and we find out, boy, it wasn't as fun as I thought it was. All these repercussions for what I do. Literally, the word there for debt is a just and legal claim. Sin really is not necessarily the best translation because, number one, people don't sin against us. They sin against God. So I have no sin to, to forgive somebody about. But debt is a really good thing because if they do something to me, I have the right to demand, demand justice. And he's saying that I need to be able to forgive that legal and just debt that they owe me. One of my favorite words in the, in the Bible is the word forbearance. And forbearance means to give up my right to demand punishment for something done. And in the human terms, that would be true. And even in God's terms, we have the right in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There was the right. You hurt me. I have the right, according to Scripture, to demand justice. And God is bring, Jesus is bringing it to the next level. The next level. And saying, you're learning to forgive. Forgive them. Yes, you have, yes, it's a debt. Forgive them. And we forgive. When we forgive others, God says, okay, I'm going to return and forgive you. If you think about the parable where God forgives the, the individual that owes more money than he'd ever be able to pay for in the rest of his life, and the king says, you're forgiven. And what does he do? He goes out and finds somebody that owes him just a few, a measly sum, and says, okay, I'm throwing you into prison. And in the parable, the king calls the man out and says, you wouldn't forgive, I forgave you and you wouldn't forgive others. Now you're going to prison and they're going to be released. This is something that God is looking at us. He has forgiven us of so much. We need to be just like him and forgive others that, are, that owe such a small amount to us. They, they've harmed us. They've done, done evil. But again, this is the love of God showing up through us to others to forgive. And we need to learn to be forgiving. And it comes from love. I love the individual and God needs to work in their life. I'm going to let them be forgiven. Well, the, the, the problem is we do have that right, but we need to give it up because we need fellowship should be more important to us than the repayment of these debts, which in a real, even in a financial area, when I have, when somebody asks me if they can borrow money, my plan is to give them money. If I can't afford to lose the money, I'm not going to give it to them because if they don't pay me, I'm not going to sit there and be angry at them because they didn't, didn't pay me. Now, if I get the money back, that's it's great. But that's the same mentality here. If somebody has done something that hurts me and I forgive them, I'm, I'm placing my fellowship and my love for them in a higher place than my anger and my disappointment at being mistreated. It takes years to get this way. It takes practice to get this way. But this is our goal, to get to the place where forgiveness is a key part of the way I live and that I just forgive people. Because I have met so many people that are so bitter towards so many people 
because they don't forgive. Oftentimes, husbands and wives will do the same thing. They, they, they get into a fight, and then everything that's ever happened in the entire marriage gets thrown in their face, you know, usually from both directions, or at least one or the other. Let's learn forgiveness. Let's get over the past. Because people will tell you, well, I've forgiven you, and then, but if you drag it back up afterwards, you have not forgiven that person. You, it is stuck in your mind. You have dwelt on it. You have... You've, you've continued to think about it, and that has not been forgiven. And the idea of forgive and forget is a very true statement. I need to forgive and forget. I need to quit dwelling on it. I need to quit thinking about it. You know, P, uh, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my, my brother? And he said seven times, which was a very generous number because the, the Jewish leaders told you three times. Uh, you forgive the person three times, and that was it. You got the hammer thrown at you at the, after the third time. And so Peter's doubling it plus one. You know, he's taking it to the number of perfection. And what did Jesus say? No, 70 times seven. And he didn't mean count 490 times and then, and then let him have it. It's like, just keep going. And then he says, your kingdom and your power. In Greek, dunamis. You know, dunamis. We get dynamite from it. It's that God is powerful, and it shows... And we need to keep in mind, God is all-powerful. If we have a need, God can fill it. And it's amazing that God will fill all of our needs. One of the greatest stories I've ever, ever remembered, and I've given the quote before, back when Dallas Seminary was first starting, the, all these big leaders got together in the president's uh, office because the, the school had great debts and needed money. And one of them, and I don't remember which one, unless he's prayed, you know, God, you, you say you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Can you sell some of those cattle and, and give us the money? And about that time, somebody knocks, the secretary knocks on the door. There's this man out here that says he has to see you. They go, well, we're busy praying for God's help. You know, he goes, well, he insists he has to see you now. So they let him in. And he goes, well, I'm a rancher, and I just sold a bunch of cattle, and I want to give you, <laughs> give you the money. You know, God reaches down and will settle... <laughs> You know, and it's just one of those things, you know, but I've read lots of biographies and I've read this story over and over and over again where people are praying for their needs and miraculous things happen and I've had it happen in my life where I've been praying for something because I needed something and go, God, it's in your hands, I'm going to leave it there and usually right after I prayed, within minutes, hours, the answer's sitting there you know, in my hand. God loves to wait till the last possible moment so that we know that it is him that has given us the, the gift. Uh, you have your rent due, and it's due on the next day, and he either gives it to you the day, right the day before it's due or even the day it's due. You know, just, it's just the way God keeps working because he wants us to recognize that it's him that did it. If we get it too early, we somehow think it was our smarts that got it. So he likes to wait to the last moment so that we know it's him. Uh, but he's saying his power and his glory, his doxa is what it literally is. His doxa, his splendor, his brightness. Do we see God in that way that he is powerful, that he is splendid? He gives us his light. I love it when God shines upon us and he says, this is me. This is me. When he appeared to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, he showed up as a, the flashing and lightning and fire and drew this attention. So often when we see the pictures of the, the angels, they show up as shining beings because they're in the presence of God. God's power and his light, his illumination. 
And he's saying, I want you to live like me. And this is something that we find so hard to do in all of our life, is to live like him. To be like him. And we can find a million and one excuses human-wise human to say, God, I just don't believe it's going to work. But you know, my experience with God is when I just trust him, even though it doesn't look like it's going to work, it works. People, the world will tell you, well, if you forgive people and you don't, and you don't make them pay, then they'll walk all over you. That's not been my experience. When people are forgiven, they, they know there's a debt between you that they have to pay, and they realize that there's a problem. When you give people grace to, to follow God in their, own, in their own walk, you watch God do mighty things in their life. It's an amazing thing. I don't have to attack people. I don't have to go after them. God works on them. And when God works on them, there's going to be change. My oldest son did some things one time, and I go, and I told him, I am tired of dealing with you. I'm putting you in God's hand, and God's going to deal with you. Well, 13 years later, he told me that he remembered that statement, and he remembered how scared he was when I told him I was through with it. And he knew that God was going to do it, and he went through a lot of hard times in his life because God knew how to bring him back. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again that God does a great work if I just stand back and give grace. I give people grace and room to make, to make their decisions and let God work on their heart, and God changes them. My job is simple as a pastor. I just teach, I just teach what the Word says. <laughs> I don't have to judge people. I don't have to attack people. This is what God says. You deal with it. You figure it out how you're going to respond to it. You can accept it and grow, or you can reject it and have God grow you the hard way. <laughs> because he's going to grow us one way or the other. We can do it real easy, or we can do it the hard way. I've done it both ways in my life. I have fought God tooth and nail and had to, had to suffer. And the problem with doing that as, the, as, a, as a father and as a husband is that my family suffered when I fought tooth and nail against God. Or I can just give up and, and, and say, God, it's, I want to learn. I am getting better at just giving up after 44 years. Now, when I was younger, I was stubborn and headstrong, and God had to beat me over the head all the time with a two-by-four to get my attention. And even then, I used, would ignore him for a while. But I'm getting better at it. I, I guess I've grown up, and I've gotten smarter over the years. <laughs> or, or tired of being beat up, whichever the case might be. But God is reaching out, and he wants to help us. And then it says, amen. And amen means verily or let it, let it be so. Okay, it's an agreement, let it be so. So we have just looked at this pattern of prayer. It is not pray this prayer, because God does not like vain repetition, and he tells us do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. But he gives us a pattern. These are the things we ask for. We glorify him. We, we ask for his, his kingdom to come. And then he says, okay, God, you know, help us with our daily, daily bread. Help us to forgive others. And then guide us. That guiding is so important. Looking for what he's doing and joining him. How many times do we go, God, I'm, uh, I'm over here doing this, God. Where are you? And God says, I'm over here doing this work. You're supposed to be over here. And we oftentimes will beat our heads trying to make something happen when God is doing something different. 
And Jesus is a great example. So many times when he was on his way to do something, he was stopped to do something else. And he, and he stopped. Now, I look at some of those things and go, boy, I wouldn't have done that because I, I, I get focused. I'm headed someplace and I do what it is I'm headed to do. And that's what I've told people. If you meet me in, the gro- in a shopping area, don't get too offended if I walk back because my idea of shopping is get in and get out. <laughs> I am not one to stand there and, and browse and I know where everything is in each of the stores I go to and I go straight to where I'm going <laughs> and get right back out. And so I'm on a mission. I need to be less focused and I am getting less focused and being able to realize that there's people that I know that go to these stores and I need to say hi to them if I see them. And I've shared with you, my wife will be talking with somebody when we go grocery store and she'll talk to somebody and I'll go get the groceries and she'll be still talking to the same person when I'm done shopping. And I'm going, okay, it's time to go. Uh, you know, she notices people. She likes to do this stuff, you know, and, and I'm getting better. I at least recognize the people who are in the store that I need to say hi to once in a while. But sometimes we get so focused on what we want to do that we forget that God's got plans for us. And we need to be looking around and saying, God, what is it that you have me to do? Who should I be talking to? Who should I be trying to find to minister to? And we start looking for this because God's got divine appointments for us every day, probably every hour if we start looking. And just being willing to share with people and talk with people. I had several really good appointments today at the prison. I met a number of people and talked to them and and actually talked about God with a few people today that because they came up to me and, and we had great discussions because God opened some doors. Now, did I get anybody saved? No, I didn't, but I, I planted seeds and I, and I brought things around and you know, opened, opened doors for them to think. And we need to be able to start looking around and saying, what is it that I've got for God to, to do for, what has God got me to do for, for him? And start reaching out for him. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to to just show you great love. And Lord, you are so awesome. You are so wonderful to us. And you love us so much that you gave. You gave your son. You give us grace. You give us mercy. You give us the opportunity to spend eternity with you, which is such a precious gift. Help us to recognize these gifts. Help us to learn to forgive others and to just release your love upon them that you will change them and that you will guide and lead them. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.